0: Volume 2, Chapter 9 of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume 2, Chapter 9. Celestina, finding that Montague Thorold did not join the party, constrained herself to stay with them, lest it should be imagined they were together. Captain Thorold, as if he took advantage of his brother's absence, sat down by her, and began in a half-whisper to make her some of those speeches, between a sneer and a compliment, which always confused and distressed her. Soon after tea, however, Montague came in, and then, the evening being rainy, cards were proposed, to which his mother desired him to sit down, while Celestina, saying she had a few preparations to make for her journey, which she might as well begin in time, went away, nobody asking her to take a seat at the card-table. She was no sooner gone than Mrs. Thorold, addressing her eldest son, said, "'So, Edmund, we are to lose your father's visitor at last, my dear.' "'Are we?' said he carelessly. "'What, is her intended come back?' oh no replied his mother the young lady is going to london it seems lord ma'am cried bettonson i'll tell you what musgrave and i'd heard t'other day didn't we muzzy faith i don't know whether we did or no jacky boy till you tell me what it was we heard why we heard lord why twas that night we drank tea and supped you know with that there family of the killigrews we heard that mr montague thorold was a-going to be married to this mr morning and that mr what do you call him he that was to have had her had given mr montague a living to take her off his hands either the purport of this speech or the manner in which it was delivered threw captain thorold and his friend musgrave into bursts of laughter which they very freely indulged but poor montague turned pale and trembled with vexation while mrs thorold pursing her mouth and drawing herself up said pray mr bettenson where did you say you heard this story pray edmund what do you laugh at i say mr bettenson pray was it at mr killigrew's you heard this absurd story lord yes ma'am and upon my soul i've heard it elsewhere why musgrave don't you remember why half the people at exeter i am sure have talked to me about it i'm very sorry for it rejoined the old lady people give their tongues strange liberties methinks my son i can assure them will never at least with mine and his father's consent form any such connection what with a foreigner an alien as one may say brought up upon charity and i dare say not very honourably born or how did mrs willoughby get her so easily from her own country people of fashion don't part with their children to strangers for my part i would be very civil to a young woman in distress as twas mr thorold's whim to have her here for a little time but i am very sorry it has given rise to any such report which i beg the favour of you gentlemen to contradict a living indeed is it very likely that montague thorold should accept of a living with such an encumbrance or on any such conditions but madam cried captain thorold as he dealt his cards what think you if poor montague avows his penchant for the lady and talks of dying without her instead of getting a living with her think replied his mother reddening with anger why think that he is a fool and that you are very little better for encouraging a silly boy in such nonsense nay madam cried the captain i am sure i don't encourage him i was only pitying him as one naturally does all gentle youths who are crossed in love arabella who knew that her mother sometimes suddenly threw off her every-day character to appear in one far less amiable when unchecked by mr thorold now feared that she might give way to one of these fits of ill-humour and exhibit a scene before mr musgrave and mr which might give them no very favourable idea of the family temper. She therefore gave her brother Edmund a hint to forbear pushing the conversation any farther. He desisted. The game went in favour of Mrs. Thorold, and in the pleasure of winning five shillings, she forgot for that time the displeasure she had conceived against her youngest son. Celestina was in the meantime preparing for her journey. She had nothing now but her clothes to pack up, For her books and her drawing-cases were at alverston where Cathcart besought her to let them remain a little longer promising that if events were finally determined otherwise than he was still willing to hope he would take them all from thence and send them to her whithersoever she might desire she wished most earnestly the next day over for she had now learned to dread more than before some extravagance on the part of montague thorold for whom notwithstanding the trouble she had received from his continual persecutions she could not altogether withhold her pity and her esteem in his figure he resembled his father whom she had so much reason to regard with grateful affection and his faults were merely those of youth and a vivid imagination whether his partiality to her was of a permanent or transitory nature, it was pretty certain that it now gave him pain, of which Celestina could not consider herself as the cause, without desiring to alleviate, or rather to end it. At supper, however, she learned, with great satisfaction, that Mr. Thorold and his two sons were engaged out for the whole of the next day, and were to leave home early in the morning. She fancied, from several remarks she made in the course of the evening that this was purposely contrived and the eyes of montague though he dared not otherwise speak told her how cruelly he suffered from an arrangement which would deprive him of almost all the opportunities of speaking to her which her short stay might yet afford him though he saw that his mother remarked all his looks and was restrained only by the fear of offending his father from openly avowing the anger she had conceived, he could not forbear watching every turn of Celestina's countenance, and, when he bade her good-night at the door, sighing deeply, and saying in a low whisper, But what time do you go on Thursday?' "'Early, I hope,' replied she, and to avoid any farther questions, hastened away. The next day passed quietly enough, for Mrs. Thorold, sure of being delivered from a visitor who had never been agreeable, and was now uneasy to her, thought it as well to be tolerably civil to her. And Arabella, who thought very little about anything at present but securing her conquest over the heart of Mr. Bettinson, was hardly conscious that she was with them. Late in the evening the gentlemen returned, but Celestina had left the parlour before their arrival, on pretence of going early to bed, that she might be ready the next day for Mr. Cathcart, whom she had appointed to meet her in a post-chaise at six o'clock. She took leave of Mrs. Thorold and her daughter, therefore, this evening, who received her thanks and adieus with great formality and no kindness. Very willingly would she have escaped bidding farewell to Montague Thorold the next morning, but she feared it would be impossible. Mr. Thorold had told her, he should himself put her into the chaise, and he always rose so early that this, she knew, would not put him out of his way. As soon as her window was opened in the morning, which was almost as soon as it was light, she saw Montague Thorold standing under it. He kissed his hand to her when he perceived her, and looked so dejected that she could not see him without concern. She was very soon dressed, and went down into the parlour, where he no sooner saw her than he came to her you are ready even before the time so impatient are you to leave us said he in a mournful voice ah mr mornay this house then will never again be blessed with your presence indeed sir i hope to see it very frequently again and shall always be happy to hear of the health and welfare of its inhabitants but is your father in his study i must see him before i go do not celestina said montague very gravely do not so industriously try to deprive me of this last poor moment yet a little and my unfortunate my despised attachment will trouble you no more you are mistaken mr montague replied celestina any circumstance that you have occasion to deem unfortunate Will trouble me long, wherever and whatever I may be. Pray, therefore, for my sake, as well as for your own, exert your excellent understanding, and conquer this unlucky partiality towards a person who, whatever may be her sense of your worth, or her gratitude for your good opinion, can never return it otherwise than by esteem and good wishes. I had rather you would hate, detest, and drive me from you cried he starting up and going to the window "Twould be less cruel than this gentle reason which i know to be just but which i cannot obey and yet indeed celestina i have no hope i am not quite frantic enough to suppose there can be any for me all i ask is to be permitted to be miserable and that after all you cannot prevent Yes." There is yet another favour i would solicit though i know i know you will not grant it anything i can do without impropriety replied celestina i certainly will do i do not know said he in a depressed and solemn voice what you may call propriety or impropriety but the favour i would solicit is to be allowed to write to you don't interrupt me with a refusal before you hear me to be allowed to write to you so long as i confine my letters to literary subjects only and that once or twice a year you would acknowledge the receipt of my letters my dear sir cried she smiling you would be weary of this project long before the first half-year had elapsed had you never talked to me of i know not what particular regard there might have been no impropriety in this and i am sure the pleasure and advantage would have been wholly mine but after the extravagantly gallant things you have said how can i if i infringe the articles of our agreement said he then send my letters back but tell me cried celestina interrupting him in her turn tell me what good can this possibly do you good replied he You are not yourself insensible of a tender attachment to Willoughby, and yet ask what good it can do to be admitted to write to a beloved object. Good? Why, it will be the softener, the sweetener of my existence. While I am writing to you, I shall forget that I am never to see you. I shall forget everything but the pleasure of knowing that you will read what I am writing, that your hands will unfold my letter." your eyes pass over the traces of my pen that sometimes i may amuse or interest you and at others perhaps raise in your bosom a compassionate sigh for my silent my unhappy love besides i shall by that means always know where you are softi che in al meno, di mia perduta parte venga il penfier seguace su l'orme del tuo pie sempre nel tuo camino sempre m'avrai vicino e tu che sai se mai ti soverrai di me celestina had no time to answer this otherwise than by saying that if he had sagacity enough to find out where she was he possessed more than she did who could not even guess where she might be he answered that he could always know of cathcart and before she could urge the many objections she saw to his request the chaise with cathcart in it drove up to the door and at the same moment mr thorold came to them he appeared sincerely concerned that she was going from him desired her again to write to him and while he was hastening breakfast which he insisted upon her taking before she went, Vavasor rode into the courtyard, and, giving his horse to his servant, came into the room also. Celestina, who knew that Cathcart had informed him of her resolution to go, had felt some surprise that he had not called upon her the day before to express his approbation and inquire how she intended to dispose of herself. But he was so volatile and inconsiderate that she thought it not impossible that he might have forgotten on wednesday what he so vehemently urged on monday and she now rather wished he had as she saw mr thorold was very little pleased either with his present visit or the manner in which he addressed her without taking either of him or his son quite so much notice as the laws of civility required celestina had frequently remarked the extreme inattention and disregard which, as Vavasour felt, he never chose to take the trouble of concealing, for the opinions of those to whom he was indifferent, and he was indifferent to three-fifths of the world, and not very solicitous about the rest, unless for a few, a very few friends, whom he loved. He disliked the Thorolds, without knowing or inquiring of himself why he disliked them, and eager and solicitous only about Celestina, He hardly gave her time to address herself to them, or return their invitation to partake of their breakfast by the usual speech. A party who seemed so little pleased with each other, Celestina thought could not too soon separate. She therefore hastily drank her tea, and telling Cathcart she was ready, she gave the elder Mr. Thorold her hand, and thanked him, not without emotion, for all the kindness he had shown her. She then wished Montague Thorold health and happiness, desired him to offer her compliments and acknowledgments to his mother, sister, and brother, and then, Mr. Thorold leading her, and Montague walking silently on her left hand, she went out and stepped into the chaise. Cathcart followed her, and Vavasor went round to speak to her at the opposite side. "'You did not wish me good-morrow,' said he, And therefore i suppose you foresee that i intend going with you part of the way celestina had no time to answer for mr thorold offering his hand once more to bid her adieu she gave it to him saying adieu dear sir a thousand and a thousand thanks and good wishes montague who stood by his father at that moment caught her eye and there was on his countenance an expression of sorrow which affected her so much that under the sudden impulse of concern and pity she held out to him the hand his father let go farewell mr Montague," said she he seized it eagerly and held it as if he would never part from it more but cathcart at that moment bowing to the gentleman and bidding the postilion drive on he was compelled to release it though it was with a sigh as if his heart was half broken and when the chaise drove off Instead of following it with his eyes, he turned away and went into his own room, unable either to see Celestina go or Vavasour following her. The concern she felt for him kept her silent the greatest part of the way to the cottage near Old Winnington's, where Jessie was to meet them. Cathcart, who was unhappy at the necessity of parting from his wife, was not disposed to interrupt her and though Vavasour now and then rode up to the door of the chaise and talked, she was not in spirits to answer the gay nothings with which he addressed her. The meeting with Jessie was more in unison with her feelings. Jessie threw herself into the arms of her benefactress, from whom she had been so long divided, and who she now saw only for a moment before they were to be separated for a yet longer time. Neither of them could say much, for their hearts were full but had they been disposed for conversation vavasour who felt only pleasure in having got celestina away from the thorolds was very little inclined to give them an opportunity but in his rattling way rallied jessie and then celestina whom he teased about montague thorold and his father one of whom he called her pedant and the other her priest till she was half angry cathcart at length however prevailed upon him to leave the friends alone and as they walked together before the door of the cottage he inquired whether he had any commands in london oh none i thank you replied vavasour for i shall be there myself almost as soon as you pray where does mr mornay intend to lodge cathcart declared himself entirely ignorant and then for the first time from some expression or look of vavasour's he suddenly entertained a notion that there was something more than friendly solicitude for willoughby's betrothed wife in the eager and assiduous attentions of vavasour and he determined from that time to remark more narrowly his behaviour to her you do not intend to set out for london to-day sir inquired cathcart yes i do answered vavasour that is i just ride back and make my bow to those honest humdrum cranfields and then i am off for oakhampton where i have told them i have business and from thence i shall take four horses and so come up with you my good fellow and your fair compagnon du voyage before you reach Hunterton. and does mr Mornay know of your intentions sir no for i know what scalping savages all the people about here are and though there can be nothing you know in my attending her on behalf of willoughby yet on her account one would not set the clacks of the old cats within twenty miles round at work about it, and so I have made up a story of having a lawyer to meet about the affairs of my deceased aunt, who, luckily for the honour of my veracity, had a farm or two near Oakhampton, which are now mine, and I intend the Cranfields good matter-of-fact souls shall fancy me carefully looking after my property and settling repairs and renewals with Mr. Palmer, the attorney you intend no doubt to tell mr Mornay of it however sir oh yes now i see her safely out of the hands of her confessor or else perhaps he would have put it into her head that i am not a fit escort for her though i think Kafkart, thou art so grave and sage that thou'lt make as proper a third to our party as his reverence himself come never look so calamitous but go and take leave of thy weeping wife and let me and celestina have a little conversation cathcart then went into the house and celestina presently afterwards came to vavasour who continued walking before it As cathcart told you my plan said he before she could speak i intend to go to london with you from honiton where i shall be almost as soon as you celestina now recollected all mr thorold had said to her but the great friendship Which had for so many years subsisted between Vavasour and Willoughby, and the undesigning openness of Vavasour's character, put all the suspicions he had raised to flight, even when this scheme seemed most strongly to corroborate those suspicions. I had much rather you would not join us, said Celestina, because, though I should certainly be glad of your company as well as Mr Cathcart, yet perhaps a thousand ill-natured things may be said about it she was proceeding when vavasour interrupted her yes that's just the politics you have learned at the thorolds what does it signify to you what anybody says or thinks but willoughby and you know that he would put you himself into my protection on every occasion where he could not protect you himself come come celestina acknowledge that your old mentor has been warning you against having any acquaintance with such sad young rakes as vavasour you think so replied celestina you undoubtedly know that he has reason for his precaution and as for his calling you what i always fancied you rather piqued yourself upon being i don't see why my mentor as you term him should give you offence by that rake as i am however answered he curse me if i would do a dishonourable thing towards george no by heaven not if i were dying for love of you i believe you indeed said celestina and such perfect confidence i have in your honour that i should trust myself with you as with a brother and never you dear candid angel interrupted he never shall you repent that confidence but i tell you very plainly that though i am upon honour with willoughby i am not so with those thorolds and can allow nobody else to usurp that favour which perhaps i might have taken it into my head to dispute even with my friend george himself if he had not made out a very early and almost unhereditary claim to you as it is however i have no pretensions for myself but i am confoundedly jealous for him and now i have got you out of the way of that prating piping poetical pedant that montague thorold i shall be quite easy when i see you situated where you are not very likely to meet with him again So you won't oppose my meeting you on the road. Until then, my sweet friend, adieu. He then, without waiting for an answer, ran to his horse, which his servant was leading about, and mounting it, was out of sight in an instant. Cathcart and Jessie then came towards Celestina, and the latter, hanging on her neck, could hardly prevail on herself to bid her farewell, while Celestina, melting into tears, kissed her and willing to shorten a scene so uselessly painful stepped into the chaise where cathcart having taken again a tender leave of his wife immediately followed her and they took the road that led across the commons to the turnpike chapter nine